Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. The words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount that we just heard are a challenge to us. They were a challenge to his first audience. But even now, after 2,000 years of teaching and spiritual counsel and development in the church, and even with the fact that we have been baptized into the life of Christ, those words are a challenge because we still struggle with sin. Why, after our baptism, are we not immediately saintly? This is a question we may legitimately have after reading St. Paul's words in the epistle passage for the Mass of today, which is from Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 11. In it, he says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life, i.e. not walk in the old life of sin. The logic of this is, as he continues, so that knowing this, that our old nature is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, and henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. So when we were baptized, our old nature, our old sinful nature was put to death, meaning we were freed from sin. Our Nicene Creed says as much too. I believe in one baptism for the remission of sins. Remission. We use that term when we talk about a cancer disappearing. It comes from the Latin word remissionem in the Latin text of the creed, uh, which means to send back or send away, to free or to forgive. From the original Greek text of the creed, the word is aphesis, which means broadly the same thing. It's translated in the New Testament as both forgiveness and remission. And even that phrase, remission of sins, is used multiple times through the New Testament, including by Jesus, who tells us at his institution of the Eucharist that his blood is shed for the remission of sins. And after his resurrection, he tells his disciples to preach repentance and the remission of sins. So remission of sins is linked to repentance, to baptism, and to Holy Communion. So despite the very objective language of finality that St. Paul uses in describing our baptism into the death of Christ as the killing of our old nature, it seems that remission of sins and uh, that it seems that the remission of sins, uh, its effects are not as final as we would like to hope, the remission of sins in baptism. Because, of, again, we all struggle with sin after our baptism. And Paul knows this. It's the reason he's writing to the Roman Christians about it in the first place <laughs> and instructing them to reckon themselves dead to sin, to think of themselves as being dead to sin and to behave according to that reality. But if they have to actively try to behave like they're dead to sin, it means they're not really dead to sin, right? Is Paul just telling us to pretend? The problem with sin is that it's a creeper. You can put it away. You can truly set it aside. You can truly be forgiven of it. 
But just like cancer, after it is remitted, sin may return. It may creep back. God tells Cain in Genesis, sin croucheth at the door, and unto thee shall be its desire, but do thou rule over it. Sin is likened to a creepy crawly animal at the door looking to pounce on you if it's given the chance. St. Peter warns also that the devil is like that too, the tempter who prowls like a lion searching for someone to devour. So even though our transformation in baptism is real, even though our nature is changed from the old human nature to the new Christ life, sin can still dirty us. It's why the life of the Christian after baptism still includes confession, repentance, and absolution from the church, and also the communing with the Lord's body and blood, which cleanses us of sin. It's like what Jesus told St. Peter, whoever has bathed is clean and doesn't need to bathe again, only their feet need to be washed. We have been washed and are clean, but our feet still get dirty from walking this road of life. So that part of us that still gets dusty and dirty needs to be regularly washed. And if we don't regularly wash our feet, if we neglect frequent repenting and go on living as though we had never been washed, then St. Gregory of Nyssa tells us that that filth can creep up to cover our whole bodies again, that the crouching sin predator can overtake us completely, and the efficacy of baptism can be rejected altogether and lost. He says when discussing baptism and spiritual birth, we have to consider what happens after uh, baptism, to our life following baptism. This is a point which many of those who approach the grace of baptism neglect. They delude themselves by being born in appearance only and not in reality. For through birth from above, our life is supposed to undergo a change. But if we continue in our present sinful state, then there is really no change in us. Indeed, I do not see how a man who continues to be the same can be considered to have become different when there is no noticeable change in him. He continues, if you persist in displaying evil, then it is useless to prattle yourself and to others about your birth from above. You are still merely a son of man, not a son of the most high God. You love lies and vanity, and you are still immersed in the corruptible things of this world. Don't you know in what way a man becomes a child of God? Why, in no other way than becoming holy. St. Gregory is making it sound like there's a lot that we're responsible for doing, doesn't he? But St. Paul kind of makes it sound like baptism is supposed to transform us through its own efficacy, or rather by the grace of God alone. So is it God transforming us in baptism, or is it on us to do good and become holy? Yes. Today happens to be the feast day of St. John Cassian, a man who lived at the same time as uh, St. John Chrysostom, St. Augustine, St. Leo the Great. He lived in the East for much of his early life, going out into the Egyptian desert to learn from the first holy monks out there, and then coming to Rome later on at some point and bringing his knowledge of Egyptian monasticism with him. He uh, was credited by St. Benedict, who really is the father of Western monasticism, as bringing uh, a lot of the, the main um, points and, and ways of life that the holy monks developed in the desert. And so through St. John Cassian, St. Benedict uh, drew a lot of wisdom for his own rule. 
But at some point during the life of John Cassian, uh, he became involved in a dispute between a man called Pelagius, who thought that we had the capacity to become holy all by ourselves through the strength of our own human nature, and St. Augustine, who increasingly through his life became more and more convinced that we could do nothing of ourselves, having become totally depraved after the fall in Eden, but entirely dependent on the grace of God. Now, St. John Cassian held to St. Paul's balance of this problem in the New Testament, that we must work even though it's God who works in us. We have a real responsibility and are capable to some degree of working, but we get our power to do that from God. It's a both and. We are co-workers, synergy with God, Paul insists. That means we're responsible for our part and culpable if we refuse. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, every faculty that you have, your power of thinking or of moving your limbs from moment to moment is given you by God. If you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to his service, you could not give him anything that was not, in a sense, his own already. It's like a small child going to its father and saying, Daddy, give me a sixpence to buy you a birthday present. That's all very nice and proper, but only an idiot would think that the father is sixpence to the good on that transaction. Pelagius thought we have our own money to contribute to buy God a gift. St. Augustine, almost by the end, thought we didn't even have within us the desire to buy a present at all. St. John Cassian knew God has created us with a true capacity and desire to love, but that even that capacity comes from God and that every action we make is supplied by God's own energy. This is good news, though, because if God is calling us to become truly holy, if we are supposed to be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect, like we just heard Jesus tell us, we absolutely need, as St. Gregory says, the grace of God to get there. That's why it's God himself that we should be constantly turning to. It's important to realize it's not about our moral efforts alone, just to do good. It's primarily about orienting our hearts and minds toward God and intentionally connecting ourselves with the source of good, with the source of grace and life. Trying to do good on our own is what the Pharisees did in Jesus' day. And though many of them seemed to be winning at the game that they themselves invented, Jesus said that this wasn't real righteousness. Except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven, he told his disciples in the gospel for the mass of today. No, to be fit for the kingdom of heaven, there has to be transformation of your heart. You have to see and recognize and desire the good for well, goodness sake. You have to see and recognize and desire God for God's own sake. Not from the secondary benefits which flow from God, but primarily for God himself. Rearranging your internal hierarchy of desire to match the objective and ontological hierarchy of reality. God is the source and apex of all that is good and true and beautiful and from him, all other goods flow in their proper order. So St. Paul says, let us reckon ourselves alive indeed unto God through Jesus Christ, so that we may continue to grow into that reality, co-working 
with the grace of God brought to us by the Holy Spirit to transform us further into conformity with the perfected humanity of Jesus, that eventually we may be deified and raised by him to the height of the Father, to the praise and glory of the same Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.